good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. This is Molecules and Shit, and this is a science podcast. I'm your co-host, P-Funk, at P-Funkin' Around on Twitter. And this is your host, Cookie Negra. Doctor? Sir? <sighs> so, uh, uh, how's, how's your 2020 been? Uh, novel coronavirus 2019 has been my entire life this year. Not cool at all. Yeah, I think that's a ditto for just about everybody, whether they're in science or not. I I just can't help but keep going back to, I think our it might have been our first or second episode like after the election in 2016. Mm. Yeah, good times, good times. And we can say enthusiastically, we told you this was going to happen. We definitely told you so. Like, I think people may have thought we were being alarmist, but as both of us have experience in federal government, we're like, this is catastrophic and y'all just don't even know. Mm-hmm. And when Hillary Clinton was like, I am standing between you and the precipice of doom, she she was absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody thought it was just like, oh, this, this dramatic, you know, this dramatic nonsense mongerer. But I'm like, eh, no, nah, she's pretty much accurate. Pretty much on top of it. Yep. And so here we are on the precipice of doom, and um, we have monkeys in charge. Monkeys would do a better job. I, I, I was just I was just telling someone yesterday, I'm like, I think the country might actually do better if we just didn't have a president for a year. At least this one. <laughs> I, I, I'm honestly, it, I, I just think there's so much, like, political, like, mm, intransigence like gumming up the works like the republicans are not there to help at all they're just there to cram the courts that seems to be their only driving goal these last three four years they have nothing else as at top of mind nothing else is a priority safety uh the health well-being economic well-being of anybody none of that matters except stuff well not of anybody just of us they're Mm. very concerned about their friends getting their piece of the pie yeah, they're friends, but not even yeah. like people in their demographic or people from their same region. It's nope, just their buddies. And it's like that intense level of greed. I did not anticipate, even though I knew it was going to be bad. I did not anticipate that level of selfishness and self centeredness at in among the leadership in charge. I I did not see that coming. I will say. <clears throat> yeah, I did, but I'm sick of being Cassandra. <laughs> you tired of being right? Yeah, I am. I really am. I want to be wrong more. I really oh, do. Yeah. And then, I mean, now we have potentially maybe Biden might be able to pull it out. I don't know. I'm just, even though I'm fine voting for Biden, that doesn't bother me. I think he'd be doing a much better job than what this guy's doing. And I think a lot more people would be safer and better off if you were president. I'm still a little disenchanted that so many capable, competent, younger, more able people, people were just like, nah. Like we had a pretty wide field of people to choose from, a lot of diverse candidates, and folks were just like, not all that. So Yeah, first we gotta win. But that's the thing. We gotta win. Yeah, I'm all for that. I'm a hundred percent. You know, that I I I understand it, but this was just not the time. <laughs> We got to win. This is life or death. Yeah. 
I just, I just uh, hope I don't that care about anybody's feelings because St. Bernard didn't get to win. We oh, gotta win. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, I just hope everyone's instincts were correct because it felt like it was like a coalescence of everyone's instinct at once. Was just like, this is the guy that we can win. win. <laughs> yeah, this is the guy that can win. This isn't yeah. who I like best. This isn't who I think is most qualified. This isn't who I like the most. But this is the guy who I think can win, and I, I just, I hope everyone's right. I hope so too. But uh, yeah, this isn't a uh, dreary bring me down show. Although we're <laughs> gonna, we're gonna try our damnedest. Uh, this is a science podcast, <laughs> and uh, a lot has happened in the last what is four months since the the first case, the first known case. Was it the November? The first known case was oh, yes, well, five. the first reported case in China was the end of December. Okay, so we're talking about, of course, the coronavirus, uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, as as Koki just said, the first reported case was in December, 2019, and that was in uh, Wuhan in China. And I just barely remember hearing mumblings about this. And the way that they they reported it was as um, cases of pneumonia, mm-hmm. random cases of pneumonia. And there's actually a good timeline um, on the New York Times. I know the New York Times is not everyone's favorite uh, publication. Uh, recently. The the editorial staff leaves a lot to be desired, but um, they do actually have a fairly comprehensive sort of breakdown of coverage from December to today about, you know, developments and what was happening on different days and what the death toll was like and what people were reporting at the time. So uh, there'll be a link to that. But yeah, so the first reported case was in uh, Wuhan and they said that they had, days later, the researchers had identified a new virus that had infected dozens of people in Asia. And they said at the time, there was no evidence that the virus was rap- readily spread by humans. Which is confusing to me because I'm, I'm like, if a dozen people are getting something, why wouldn't you anticipate that it's spread via human contact or some sort of human interaction? Um, because they thought it came from the wet market. But... The funny thing about that is I saw the first report. There's there's a, a listserv news news report that the WHO puts out. Mm-hmm. And so you see that there are this case of whatever in Botswana, this case of whatever. And I saw it. It was right. I think the day I saw it was December 30th because I, I was out the 31st and the 1st. So it had to be the 30th. Mm-hmm. And I saw it and it said, you know atypical pneumonia and i went hmm that sounds like sars and then i went off and celebrated (laughs) and a couple of weeks later i i can still remember because it was i didn't go home for my birthday this year which is january 24th i went home the weekend before because it was the king holiday and i have an extra day off so i could spend more time with my parents so i went there the week before I left, which would have been like the 17th or something, I went to my supervisor and I said, I think this this atypical pneumonia thing in China is going to be big. I said, this looks like the way SARS started. So we, we probably want to keep an eye on that. And hey. she looked at me and smiled and you know, ignored me, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I went on home. My father had a stroke. Things got much worse. And then about two or three weeks later, the CEO of my company went, oh, my God, it's horrible. This, this is terrible. And I went, I told you this like three weeks ago. Nobody listens. Yeah. And like two or three weeks after that would be like, what, February 1st or something like that? Or the first um, week of February? 
probably the the first first week in February. No, I think it was before that because the the global health emergency was the end of January. So it was sometime between the twenty first and the twenty eighth. Mm-hmm. And once again, you were Cassandra, and you were right. And mm-hmm. of course, you're always and right about horrible. Nobody listens to me. I think it's because you're always right about horrible things. And no one wants to believe horrible things. <laughs> so you just don't want to hear it? Is that Ex- it? Exactly. It's like, you shouldn't drive today. You're going to die. And someone's like, uh, I don't know if I just want to believe that. I'm going <laughs> to give it a shot. Just and then they die. drive and I'll die. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's just they, they think they're being it's positive thinking. But really, they're just ignoring good advice. I mean, literally, I looked at it and I said, oh, this is going to be bad. So what, what markers did you see that led you to believe this is going to be like SARS I get all over again? Well, one, it was China. Two, it was a wet market. Three, the way it was announced. So, you know, closed societies don't tell you a whole lot. And so when China says, hey, we got this atypical pneumonia, my first thought was this happened three weeks ago. And they're just mm, now telling us. That's okay. That is true. Because they were very uh, close chest, close to the chest about like what exactly they had discovered about identifying the virus. And the other thing was they were able to drop the sequence the first or second week of January. So by the time you figure out how to grow it, get enough, extract, do the sequence, put the whole thing together. You don't do that in two days. How about how long would that take just under ideal circumstances? Well, I'm not ideal when it comes to sequence and annotation. I'm sure the scientists they had working on it were better than me, but I would ballpark three, four weeks. Okay. It's it's not I mean like I said they were already they already knew SARS. They figured from everything this was going to be close to SARS. And so at least they knew where to start. You maybe can knock 3 or 4 days off of that if you're really good. Mhm. But there's no way they did this in 2 weeks. And I I mean I'm also thinking just what would what would you have to see as a clinician to think, okay, I should identify what this is versus just treating the patient? Like if well, someone if someone walks in with like flu symptoms, they don't typically like take a sample immediately and try to identify it, right? Well, no. I mean, typically you don't identify viruses if you don't have to. Right. Right? You do the test. And my guess would be they did a bunch of other tests. It's not flu. It's not coming up as SARS because they have SARS testing. Mm-hmm probably much much more prevalent in a place like china than it is here because we didn't have a bunch of sars cases here right um so they probably tested for everything they had and it wasn't any of them Mm -hmm. and so then at some point someone makes a decision okay so we actually need to get a sample and identify it do a virus culture yeah and almost nobody asked for that in the united states almost no labs do it anymore now why is that um because one, it's expensive. Two, it's hard to do. Three, they probably most laboratories don't have the the capabilities to do it. The ones that do, you have to send it to them. Okay, and so most you know, of the, most labs don't even have a micro department. So, and so if unless they absolutely need to know in order to cure someone or treat someone, they'll just kind of allow it to run its course. Well, in most cases, that's all you can do for viruses. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, once it became clear that this was different, you know, this was not flu, this was not SARS, this was not anything we'd seen before, that's when you, you start to see um, people trying to identify things. But, you know, I'm sure the physicians 
were on the the front line like this guy's not getting any better we're having to intubate what in the world is going on this we just don't see this Mm. and since okay so then after in the midst of that they said the first reported death was in january 11th in china so if your timeline yeah if your timeline's correct then yeah that's the first reported death so we don't really know because there may have been people who died at home maybe in their sleep from respiratory issues and it may or may not have been reported so we don't i mean isn't that possible well of course because a a lot of people just wouldn't think this is a terrible new disease and i got the flu i'll be fine and you know Mm -hmm. somebody comes in to get their laundry the next day and they're dead right It was a 61-year-old man who died, uh, a regular customer at the market in question in Wuhan. And so I'm sure he had contact with dozens and dozens of people before he passed. And who knows how quickly it spread just from him. Yeah, as much as I love the farmer's market, especially the big one in Baltimore, I just can't even imagine how many people I would come into contact with when I used to go shopping on Sunday. Exactly. Now, just from what we know about how China handled it, is there anything that they could have done that would have um, kind of mitigated this from the start or anything that they neglected to do? Or was this just kind of a a train off the rails from the beginning and nothing really could be done? With emerging infectious diseases, it's really hard to say what you should have done. Hmm. Um, My guess would be they noticed this three to four weeks earlier than they told anybody about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would say the first three or four cases, nobody puts it together. You mm-hmm. got to wait till you have a number of cases till you say, OK, this all looks the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say not that, you know, I've dealt with China, but I know for SARS, they kept the secret a lot longer. They were on top of this. Okay. And you could see that they were working because they managed to get the sequence out so fast. They in, they made sure they informed the WHO. Like, they did everything differently than they did under SARS. Okay. So, you know, I don't know what kind of red tape goes on in China. That would that would be more something you would know than I would know. But I would say that they, they behaved much better this time around. So basically, aside from maybe raising the alarm a few weeks earlier, they kind of did at the best you could do. Considering that nobody has ever seen this virus before. Yeah, I think so. Mm, okay. You know, sort of all that anti-Chinese racism. They did this and they did that. I think they behaved remarkably well. But yeah. this this thing is a monster. Yeah. And. We'll talk about the death toll a little bit later, but they have a much bigger population, a lot tighter population density in some of these cities, and they have a far lower death toll than we do. Yeah. So, Have you been to Wuhan? I haven't been to Wuhan. Um, I've only been to like three or four cities in China, and a city in China is almost like a state here. Those things are fucking huge. So They have what, 1.3 billion people? That was last I checked. It might be at 1.6 because I think isn't uh, India approaching 1.3? I know India was at least 1.2. Actually, let me just quickly look it up because I think when when I was in China, yes, China had about a billion people, but that was over 10 years ago. Uh, Population of China. Okay, no, they're still at 1.393. Okay, so, so almost, almost 1.4. 1. 1. Exactly. And India is actually catching up. They're at 1.353. Okay. 
Really? Yeah. So India is actually ex- what pop- the heck <laughs> population wise are exploding a lot faster. That's how because I always knew in- China was ahead of India, and so I just expected China to still be ahead. But I think the child, um, the one child policy may have actually had uh, taken hold mm. and kind of slowed that that uh, trajectory. But yeah, so then the Wuhan gets hit hard and the Chinese authorities take the step of shutting down the city. And I remember when people were talking about it and they were talking about authoritarian regimes, like they were talking about it in terms of, you know, how, you know, backwards is this? They're just forcing these people to stay in their homes and, you know, they're goose stepping down the streets and, you know, keeping people in their houses like prisoners. And it turned out that was the appropriate thing to do. (laughs) Yep. Strange as it may seem. And then it kind of started to die down and then people were anticipating it was going to reach other countries and the first known case uh, hit the U.S. And they said that it hit the U. Uh, I think they said as of January 30th, January 19th was when it hit to the U.S., the first known uh, reported case. This is from the New England Journal of Medicine. Said a 35-year-old man presented to an urgent care clinic in Snohomish County, Washington. And that was the first known case in the U.S. And that's, I think, um, that's the same county as that uh, elder care center. Is that Uh correct? Yeah, that that part of Washington is just hit really hard. Yeah. And so is it, I guess it is possible it's just from this one guy? Well, there's always a patient zero. Mm. Um, But my guess would be he's the first one anybody reported. He's probably not the first one. Okay. I mean, I would also think that if he did have it and he came back from Wuhan with it, wouldn't everyone on that plane potentially be exposed? We could possibly have had it and taken it all over the country. It's possible, but not likely. Um, Certainly the people who sat nearest him, the flight attendants, uh, anybody who shared any sort of fomite you know the the guy who was holding on to the 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 armrest after him those type of people were probably infected if they weren't sitting in his section probably not and i mean maybe you can this is a good uh, opportunity to just kind of break it down a little bit more because it can be seem kind of alarmist sometimes with you know washing your hands and uh not touching your face like how readily or how easily the virus can spread if this guy like say had the virus and was carrying it and he touched his nose and then went to the bathroom. Did everyone who touched the bathroom after the doorknob after him, did they potentially pick it up or is it a little bit more complicated? Well, than that? probably not everybody, but maybe the first two or three people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, the kind of hand washing that we're recommending now is not any different than any hand washing you should be doing. You should always be opening the, the door with the, the paper towel you use to dry your hands anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of hand washing um, might help. I mean, we've spent all since last fall talking about how people don't wash this. They don't wash that. Nobody's washing their legs. They don't mm-hmm. do this. That You know, Americans are nasty I, just <laughs> in yeah. general. Um, so I've always been a little cleaner than most people. And that that 
started because I was a candy striper in a hospital, and they, they're really careful about infection control in hospitals. Mm-hmm. And then once I became a microbiologist, now I don't touch anything. Yeah, and I, I think also I'm I wonder can you even like can you look at infection rates and make a determination about cleanliness because it it definitely ravaged Italy more than any other European country. And I wonder, I mean, is that does that say something about their hand washing habits? Yeah, that's an epidemiologist infection preventionist type question, and I can't answer that. Mm, okay. That's beyond what I know. Yeah, because that was my my. It seemed sort of random the way it went through Europe because it hit some countries way harder than others. And I don't know if it's it, like you said to me, if asked any epidemiologists, is it because people weren't paying attention to the stay at home orders or were they not taking it seriously? Or is it just that they don't wash their hands like they're supposed to? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, mm. I, I want this to be over because I want to go to Italy now just because I saw all those Italian mayors yelling at people and they seem uh, like a fun group. I was supposed to go to Japan for my 40th birthday. So that's a wrap. So the whole year is kind of a wash. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. I don't know how international travel is supposed to work after this. I don't know how domestic travel is supposed to work after this. Well, that's true. I, I, actually, what I should say is I don't know how airlines function after this yeah. because they've been packing people like fucking sardines. And now what assurances do I have that the person you sat me within three centimeters of my mouth? I mean, how how clean are they or if they're sick, what, am I going to have wipes or handy wipes? Is there going to be more soap in the bathroom? Like, I, I don't know. Because you're in a confined space for multiple hours with these people. And I guess it's just at your own risk, I suppose. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but then, uh, so this I wanted you to explain a little bit more. I saw this article um, on NPR about how we kind of dropped the ball in tracking the virus once it did hit the u.s and they said that the cdc was initially supposed to um use what they have these flu tracking programs that were already in place in the states and they were going to kind of use that infrastructure to track the virus uh once they were made aware of it and they said that that kind of fell apart and i mean do you have any insight about that like what that was well you can't track you can't track infections unless you have a good test. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Their test sucked. So if you can't determine what, who has it and who doesn't have it, how do you track it? And so when you, okay, let's go back to, to basics. When you're creating a test initially, once you've identified what the virus is, what goes into making a test for it? Something that's um, expandable or you know, that can be used widely? It depends on what your test is, okay? So what what you have to understand about this novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, um, is that it is an RNA virus. So mm-hmm. for all of us, we know about DNA and we know about RNA. For viruses, they have one kind of nucleic acid. They have RNA or they have DNA. Mm-hmm. This tends this is an RNA virus and the the interesting thing about it is it is a positive polarity RNA virus which means when it enters your cell it is ready as a messenger RNA it is ready to start making proteins. Okay. okay so it's so very the, quick. The, are you with me? 
Yeah, so it's very quick then, right? It's That's it, what that it means. will be quicker than most. Yeah. Okay. You know, for something like HIV, what you have to do is you have to turn it into DNA, and then the DNA has to insert itself into your genome, and then you can make the virus. Like, none of that happens with a positive polarity RNA. They, they go in, and they're ready to go. Got you. Um, so in the case of the first set of tests, and most of the tests that are still being used to identify positive patients, is this was a nucleic acid test. So they went in, and they, they looked for the presence of that RNA and they used a PCR technique to um, to make sure that they amplified that nucleic acid enough so that you could see it on your test mm -hmm. okay so in that case obviously having the sequence of the RNA at hand which is what the Chinese provided early on helped to, to um, make these tests uh, fast and able to get started right away the problem was as this has happened, now I've been in my job nearly nine years, and this is maybe the third or fourth time I've known that CDC came out with a test that was unusable for clinical laboratories. And I think we've talked about this before. You, you said that the CDC has much higher or more stringent lab standards than what would be found in a hospital, and so their techniques are usually not transferable. No, it's no. not that their standards are any higher. They just exist in a world that clinical laboratories do not. The standards for a clinical laboratory are extremely high. Mm -hmm. I would say they're probably higher than CDC because remember, CDC is a public health organization. They are looking for surveillance. They're not trying to identify anybody's disease. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what has to happen in the clinical lab is you have you have to jump through 500 different kinds of hoops before you can release a patient's results. Okay. Um, so it's not that they have higher standards. They just have a very different setup. So, you know, at CDC, they're not getting samples that maybe have been in the chemistry lab first or, you know, perhaps they've already been plated on something. Um, they don't have to worry about they have all the hoods in the world. Your average lab maybe doesn't have the biosafety hoods that they have there. And they also have like this unrealistic idea of how work gets done in a clinical laboratory. They've gotten much better in the time that I've been working where I am. Um, they have sense enough to now come and ask the clinical laboratory people, what do you think about this? Help us do these, these protocols so that they're appropriate in the clinical laboratory and we have meetings three times a year and you know I've even hosted one of them where we all get together so it's it it's better than it was okay but this does not surprise me at all that once they finished it and it worked in their hands and they sent it out it didn't work anywhere else and so without a way to readily and quickly identify the virus you can't track it effectively and so you can you don't know where it is or how fast it's spreading Right. And that that was really all about the fact that the testing was bad, because obviously CDC is very good at doing influenza surveillance. And so they thought, well, we can do the same thing. We've got the test that should work. And it didn't. And, you know, through the grapevine, I heard that um, there was some contamination in some of these tests, which is why this was a problem. Now, by contamination, what do you mean specifically? Like the the test itself wasn't sterile when it arrived; it had been already been contaminated, maybe by other samples or something like that. 
No, no, no. So the test kit it has no samples with it. It's just the reagents for the kit. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing that most people don't understand about doing PCR is that it can amplify one single nucleic acid that contaminates something, right? So when you do people who work in companies that do primers, so they make the DNA and they put it in the tube for you to use when it's time for you to do your test. Mm-hmm. If they're not extremely careful, and uh, what I mean by that is, you know, the the room has to be completely uh, sterilized and cleaned, and you can't bring any other kind of DNA in it. Yeah. Like from time to time, if you're doing a PCR, like in a research lab, it'll be contaminated with whatever the guy on the next bench is doing because yeah. it wasn't quite clean enough. And usually you can tell that. Well, if you're in a big giant company that all they do is make RNA. Uh, pieces and DNA pieces once in a while something gets contaminated and some company recently said hey don't use this particular uh, kit that we just sold you we think we might have some contamination we'll send you a new one okay so that can happen and again at CDC it's not their job to produce test kits they are public health uh, authority but they they don't produce test kits so I'm not surprised that something like this could happen. So if the CDC um, crafts this test that is potentially contaminated and also just may or may not be effective or, as you said, sucks, how quickly would a, another lab be able to take what they provided and create their own testing regimen? Well, that's that what more happened effective. at almost every major medical center, hospital, laboratory in the country. Mm. Um, also the Wadsworth Center in New York, which is their big public health lab, not only do, did they make their own nucleic acid test, but they are now in a position to okay the rest of the nucleic acid tests in the state of New York. They don't have to go to the FDA anymore and talk about these tests. If Wadsworth Center says it's okay, it is okay to use. Okay. And so is this, this, a is this part of the same problem in terms of the availability of the test or is this separate and apart from that? Um, well, the availability of the test is not usually the test. It's usually the, the um, supplies. Like, for example, many laboratories have their primers and their buffers and everything they need to run the test. They have no swabs to get the samples. They have no tubes that fit the swabs. They have no uh, media that they can put the swabs in in the tube and send it somewhere. And are those things that can be quickly produced or do all those things require extensive lead up time to make more of? Like are we, when you say, say swabs, when, when you say swabs, you're talking about just like wooden sticks with cotton on the end is no. that simple the swabs that you stick up somebody's nose for for a respiratory infection are not just like sticks mm-hmm. they have to go all the way up your nose and if uh you want somebody to explain to you what that feels like you should check uh elon's feed because he had one mm. um when the president said oh yeah the test was lovely they gave me the test i knew he was lying mm. because nobody who's ever had a nasopharyngeal swab says it's lovely it's horrendous. They stick a, a, a swab up your nose on like a flexible kind of, I don't know if it's wire, but it's very flexible. It's mm-hmm. not like a Q-tip. Okay. And it feels like they're touching your brain. 
Oh. Uh, yeah, so my, my PhD was on border teleprotestis. I've seen one of those done, and it hurt my head. So uh, I knew the president was lying about having one because nobody who ever has one is cool about it. Mm. They're like, I can still feel it, and it's two days later. Okay, so this is a specialized this is a special swab. This it's still is a specialized a instrument, so it's not something that we can just whip up really quickly by calling, you know, John S.E. Johnson Wax and say, like, just give us some more of them Q-tips. This is not well. That. I mean, there are plenty of companies that can that can do it, but again, uh, we're talking about supply chain issues. Everybody shut down, right? Mm-hmm. Your average regular guy who goes into the factory and does this, he's probably not working right, right now. Uh, okay. And it's not even a question of you know, okay, we're not working in California. Can we get some swabs from Texas? Nobody's working. Okay, and now I think I understand more when people were. Uh, Called, they were talking about the Defense Production Act, and they're like, "Why isn't he using the Defense Production Act?" And I, that kind of went over my head. I'm like, "Well, what are they talking about? What would they be, be producing?" And I'm like, "Okay, so this leads directly into the test because the government could compel certain companies. It's like you were making ten thousand of these and fifty thousand of something else. Well, now you're making sixty thousand of just these." Well, here's the problem, though. Um, that uh, that act typically makes a company turn from what they're doing into something else right i don't think you can force a company that's already making it to make more oh, um, but okay. the sad truth of it is we don't produce a whole lot of this stuff in the united states we import it yeah mm. and they're not working either got you or they need it for themselves well they wouldn't necessarily need so much more for themselves but everybody's going after the same thing so if there's if there's a medium sized company in Switzerland and all they produce is NP swabs, everybody is on Switzerland's ass. Well, I need a million here and I mm -hmm. need a million there. And, you know, they're trying to make money. Right. When everything comes down to a company, money is always going to be the first thing that that is taken into consideration. Right. You run this com this country like a business. This is what you get. And that's always what's weird to me about running a country like a business is like well a corporation is run to create profit for the shareholders not to make a good product necessarily not to benefit the customers that some people consider that you know the same goal but it's it really isn't it's two different things and so i wonder you know when they who whoever's in leader whoever's in charge they have to determine like who they think their shareholders are and some people have a very narrow sense of who their shareholders are and that's where you have and, problems you know what what we'll probably get to before the end today is how we're in such a, a pickle with a lot of the testing for that very reason because companies have a very narrow sense of who their shareholders are um partially and partially that we have a failed businessman as as president who is thinking more about you know share price and dollars and how right. much his buddies can make than how do we get through this yeah and i was actually looking for an article i couldn't find it in time but do you remember um in january uh either late january or early february there was all this debate about a ship that was off the coast of the U.S. that wasn't allowed to dock. Mm -hmm. And they said that it was... Oh, which one are you talking about? 
Exactly. The I, that, Navy ship or not the Navy ship. It was the a passenger ship. Yes, it was a passenger cruise ship, and yeah, y- yes, and they wouldn't let them dock because that would increase the number of cases in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Did, is, did I just make that up in my head, or did that shit actually happen? I've heard that story. I'm not sure if that was the actual argument that they made. But, yeah, the, the consequence of that is, yes, if you keep the sick people on the boat, they don't count as being in the country. And I thought that was the wildest thing because they're still Americans. They are, they are cases already. If they're sick and they're Americans, that's part of your count. But I guess he was doing it as a – I don't know. I guess he thought that the news articles couldn't report it a certain way if they're not technically in the U.S. I think that could be part of it. I mean, the other thing – to, to be fair, Florida is full of old people. Mm-hmm. And the one thing we know is that SARS-CoV-2 and old people do not get along well. Yeah. I mean, I've already lost somebody. In, she's not part of my family, but I certainly grew up with her. Mm-hmm. She got it. She was in a, in a nursing home. She had all the comorbidities you can imagine. And she got it, and it took her right on away from here. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so, at this like, point everyone knows someone who has either tested positive, gotten sick from it, or has died from it. I don't think there's anyone left who hasn't been touched by it at this point. Some of us, multiple people, my mother's cousin and her husband both got it, and they're in their early 80s. Nobody could go to them because all their relatives are at least 75. Yeah. You know, my mother just called her every day to make sure she was okay. And, you know, one of my best friends, she got it. And she, luckily, she and her husband kept like a little efficiency in another town for when they had to work late. They live in the Boston area. Mm -hmm. And she was away from her family for three weeks because she did get it. And her mother lives with them. She has a a son with asthma. And they just, she just had to, to work it out by herself in her little apartment. And I definitely got really sick in March for about three to four days. And this is before they, you know, said that it had gotten into, you know, Virginia, or whatever. They were still talking about Washington state and, and California. So I don't know if I had it. I, cause there's no test. I don't have symptoms anymore. So I don't know if I'll ever know until they have an antibody test readily available, <laughs> whether I had it, but the timing was just odd to me and it was very similar symptoms. So I, that kind of freaks me out. It could have already been here. And I could have already um, passed it on to people. Well, probably it has already been here. I mean, f- most of the cases are going to be subclinical or you just don't feel that bad. What we're focusing on are the people who wind up in the hospital. So they're really, really sick. Right. But the vast majority of people who get it don't ever get that sick. Mm-hmm. So, you know... We're going to find out that a lot of people are seroprevalent. It, it shows up in um, New York. They did. They just randomly tested a bunch of people who walking by on the street. They weren't sick. They weren't complaining of having been sick. And 20% of them were positive for the antibody. Wow. Yeah, I think, what did they say, one in, one in five? Is that yeah, what the number is Yeah, that's 20%. Yeah. <sighs> and currently, um, there's a, a CDC has a, a data tracker. And they said the current cases in the U.S., this is as of April 25th, 12.52 p.m., 895,766 cases in the U.S. 
So that includes people who ever had it, people who have recovered, people who currently have it, and people who have died from it. Correct. What was the number you said? 895,766. Yeah. Now, see, when I opened this like an hour ago, it was sort of 865. Mm -hmm. That was an hour ago. Yeah. This is as of 12.52 p.m. Yeah. yeah. So that's how fast they're, they're getting the testing done and reported. And in the U.S., the current deaths is 50,439. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, let me see if I can look up very quickly in China. I don't want to undershoot it. Uh, COVID deaths in China. And I'm seeing confirmed cases, 84,311. We know that that's probably uh, slightly skewed or lowered 84, down. 84,000 in China? Yeah, 84,000. No way. <laughs> Ex exactly. So they're saying 84,000 um, and then 4,642 deaths. That, no, no, no. <laughs> I, it, I, it, somehow it, it's possible either way. I can easily see how the Chinese government has suppressed those numbers substantially to look better. That is not beyond the pale at all. But I could also see how their uh, stricter, uh, more disciplined control and speed at control of the population could also have kept those deaths significantly low. Yeah, there's that many cases and deaths in New York alone. I don't believe that number. Uh, I just don't. Yeah. That's that's what we have at the moment, because that's according to let's see, it's according to that's like the Tulsa race riots. Oh, two people died. OK, mm, right, right. Or remember in Puerto Rico, oh, like 100 people died in the in the hurricane. No, it was like 3000. And they have they do have it broken down by province as well. So they're showing that Hubei has 3000. Some provinces have in single digits. So yeah, no, I I don't know. No. No, not buying it. Mm. I mean, how would we determine otherwise? <sighs> well, if their test worked as poorly as ours, who knows? Oh, that's true. They may have tested people and it came back negative when, in fact, they did have it. Right. So that could be the case as well. I think they're just lying about the numbers. I mean, mm. we do it in this country. Why wouldn't they do it there? Well, are we doing that in this country or are we just not testing effectively and don't have an accurate number? I'm That's talking a about bit something like Puerto Rico where they completely just lied about how many people died. Um, oh, well, for the hurricane, right after the hurricane, you mean, yeah. There's no way to tell. Yeah. But as far as I know, I mean, I know an awful lot of clinical microbiologists. None of them are lying about their tests. Because mm. Italy has, let's see substantially less population wise in the u.s and they have twenty six thousand deaths yeah that sounds a little bit more like it yeah so the fact that italy has more deaths than china that is a little suspect that's impossible it's impossible uh well, i mean is it impossible 
Yes. Like, like break that down a There's little bit. No like, why, why couldn't that happen? Getting out of Hubei province. Like, we were reading reports of that. You know, they went places and they and they managed to to spread it. And then a lot of places are not testing if you're not symptomatic. Mm-hmm. And so they're missing a whole lot of people who are just not saying, I'm not sick. I'm not sick enough. Mm-hmm. Or I feel fine. And they're meanwhile, they're spreading it. No, th- I just don't believe those numbers at all. Mm. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, that may be the the failure on everyone's part. Now we'll just never know. We will never have an accurate count of how many people had it and died. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I I don't see how you can will I mean will the antibodies still be there if you were to check in like six to seven months? Um, possibly if we get a good test, and we should also talk about what constitutes a good test because. There are a heck of a lot of them out there that are not good tests. Okay, so yeah, explain that. You said that there is a, a facility or um, a company in New York that is now in charge of making their own tests. No, it's not a company. It's the public health labs. Oh, it's the public so health labs of New York, New York State? The New York State public okay. health labs, which are called the Wadsworth Labs. Mm-hmm. Um, they, so when the, what happened was the CDC came up with a test. Mm-hmm. And then Wadsworth came up with a better test. Okay, based and on they, the information about the the virus that they got from the CDC test? Um, I'm sure part of it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, once something comes out, the next go-round, it's always better. It's always a little better. Right. Like, so you find, you, you, make a, you make a widget and then you find the design flaw and then you fix the design flaw and it's a better widget. Yes. Okay. So it's sort of the same thing. Um, I think that because what happened was CDC made the sequence of the virus available to everybody. They're like, here it is. Mm-hmm. Make your own test. These are called laboratory developed tests. And right now we're in the middle, probably the last five years of my life, I've been in the middle of the FDA wants to control all laboratory developed tests. And in, and especially when it comes to infectious diseases, that is not feasible. Imagine if we had to wait to go through the testing procedure that every other test has to get. And that's what they wanted to do. So a company usually comes in with a test. They've spent, I don't know how many millions of dollars trying to get this test up and running. They've got all the data. They go to FDA and they say, okay, we want this test. And the FDA says, yes, you've got enough data. We're satisfied with it. Or they say, no, you have to go back and do something else. So this costs millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Your standard hospital lab, like say a a Georgetown hospital clinical micro lab, they don't have a million dollars to do this. And they have patients looking at them right now that they're trying to identify. So in a lot of the, the um, uh, microbial tests, now this is not something that you could easily do for, say, you want to know if somebody's cholesterol level is high or, you know, something like that. This is almost entirely appropriate when it comes to bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites. Um, just like COVID-19, it came out of nowhere. We had to have tests for it. We can't wait through the whole thing. And we have the sequence and the laboratory can figure out how to make a PCR that will tell us yes or no, this person is infected. 
And so that's considered a laboratory developed test. You do all of what you have to do when you get a test is you have to prove that this test actually says yes for the person who is infected, no for the person who isn't infected, and there's nothing in between. Okay. And so you have to have a number of tests run through. Uh, depending on the test, it's you know 40 or 100 or whatever. You have to have positive controls, negative controls. You just have to lock it down that this is this test works for this particular virus. 100% of the time. And, huh? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's usually 99 point something, but yeah, you okay. really want it. You want it binary. Yes, they have it. No, they don't have it. Nothing in between. Got it. And so... Big hospitals at big universities usually are the first ones who can come up with those. Mm -hmm. So the people at, you know, Duke University and UCLA and, you know, NYU and Penn and, you know, big places like that. Um, I would argue that GW probably has it. Georgetown probably has it. Howard might have it. But the rest of the the ones in, in the district probably don't. You know, University of Maryland, I'm almost positive they have it. I know microbiologists who work there, I'm, I'm sure they have one. But what you have to do is you have to make your own and you have to make sure it works in your system. And you have to be able to, to argue that this test is good enough. Now, in this case, the FDA decided this is so much of an emergency that what you can do, and they did this with Ebola and they did this with SARS, they, they will allow you to send them your data and they will give you something called an emergency use authorization. Okay. That is, this is such an emergency, you can use this. Now, when better tests come on the market, those EUAs disappear. You can't use that anymore because now there's something on the market that the FDA has put their blessings on and you got to start using that. Okay. Um, now, I've had meetings with, with the people who are in charge of this, and they're not in any hurry to throw those EUAs away because we're still in the middle of this emergency. So, but, uh, so when you talk about like the tests have to be um, usable on your system or it has, to, it has to work with your system in place, and so that's why you have differences in the different tests that are used in different localities or different hospitals, right? Okay, so then... Explain a little bit like what you mean by tests, because people were talking about for a long time, for several weeks, they're talking about, oh, there aren't any tests. We don't have any tests. Are they talking about we haven't developed a process in our hospital or facility to conduct that test or we are physically lacking something? What, what are they what are they saying when they say that? They're saying all of those things. Oh, all of the above. The first the first test that came out was a CDC developed test. It went directly to the public health laboratories. And so hospital laboratories were to send their samples to the public health laboratories. That means the hospitals had no test. So the public health labs were supposed to run them. And it turns out that there was a flaw in them. And so they had no test. I mean, they had a test, but they couldn't use it because it was broken. Um, now, I know so we don't have... So I know we don't have like um, a physical aid, but what would it, okay? What would the test look like? Is say someone says, "Oh, we have X many tests." What are they talking about? What exactly does that look like? Is it like a bottle of Regent with like uh, sample collecting supplies, or what, what does that look like? Well, it depends on the test. Um, so for you to run a test, you have to have the platform that you're going to run it on. So sometimes that's a thermal cycler, just regular PCR. Not too many people are doing that these days, but I suppose a small hospital could do that. And that's just a large um, like imaging machine or chemical uh, measuring no. machine. No, thermal cycler is a, is 
basically it's a heat block and it cycles between cold and hot and cold and hot because that's the way the enzyme works mm, to okay. make more more of the nucleic acid. Okay. Okay, so it looks like a, a little tiny heat block and basically it goes from, you know, thirty seven degrees to ninety some degrees to forty some degrees to thirty seven degrees. So it that's why it's called a thermal cycler. It oh, changes gotcha. the temperature. And that's that's the backbone of what a PCR test will do. Okay. Um but Nowadays, most PCR is done on enormous platforms where they can identify multiple things, not just one virus. So no hospital is going to run out and buy a machine just for coronavirus. Mm. So you've got to work the test with the machine you already have. Okay. All right. So they can give you all the stuff you need, but if it doesn't work on your platform, you still got no test. You can have the right platform, you can have all the right reagents, you can have the right nucleic acids, you can have the right enzymes, you can have the right buffers. You have no samples if you have no swabs. So again, you have a test, but you can't run it. So you have to have this, it sounds like, is this a complex machine? Is this something that's very expensive to purchase? Is it very, and are there size restrictions? Like, is it huge? Is it small? Like, does it sit on a desk? It depends on your platform. Some of them are small, some of them are quite large. It depends on the laboratory. It depends on what they're used to running. And, you know, right now, everybody's trying to buy a new platform if they're not already running the test. So like your small hospitals where people will come into the emergency room and they don't have a micro lab, but people want to know if somebody has a coronavirus, you go to the company, you say, give me the small one, which is like the size of maybe one, one of the old fashioned big TVs. Oh, so you okay. could put it on your you could put it on your bench or you know the kind of small TVs that we took to college. Yeah, like um, the the cathode ray like thirteen yeah, inch. About, that, that, yeah, they're about that size. I mean, they look they basically look like your your old um, your grandma's your TV old from your computer. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, there are some that are that size, but obviously, if it's that size, you can't be running too many of them. You're not going to crank out 250 a day in something like that. You might be able to do 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, these these um, hospitals that want to do that, they go to the company. The company's like, we're sold out. Right. Because everybody wants one. So, again, you can't run any test. And you're probably sorry you wanted to talk about this because this is all I've been doing for the last three months. I know everything. No, I, this is actually, I think, most important because I know for me – the little experience I have in a lab when they were like, we don't have tests, we don't have tests, we don't have tests. I'm thinking in my head, it's like these individually wrapped like swab inside a test tube and you just swab and you stick it in the tube and then the region in it and it just changes color and that's the test. But that is clearly not correct. <laughs> well, they're also running out of reagents. Um, that happens from time to time. And um, Again, you go to the company, they're like, yo, we don't have any more of that reagent. And so if you ch- if you make the reagent yourself, this now becomes a laboratory-developed test, and now you have to run, I don't know, 50 or 60 samples so you can verify that this actually works. And so this um, thermocycler, um, there are other machines that can do that as well that are not necessarily thermocyclers, right? No. So- no, only a thermocycler can do what a thermocycler. A thermocycler is a thermocycler. Got you. So, in order to run a test for COVID nineteen, you have to have a thermocycler. You have if to have a nucleic acid test. Oh, okay. So, for this particular type of test, you have to have a thermocycler. 
for you have to have uh, the necessary regions and then you have to have uh, the sample collecting supplies. Is that about it? You also need transport media. Transport media. What's that yeah, for? Is that just to in the lab for you to stick stick somebody's nose? You go to your doctor, your doctor sticks the thing up your nose, and then it gets sent to the lab. So you can't just walk down the hall with this Got thing. Got you. So that's what, right. so that's so what I was thinking of. Media. So I was thinking of like, um, for example, sometimes in the cytology lab, they'll collect the sample and then they'll put it in that uh, special capsule. And that like keeps the sample sterile and also preserved so that it can go in the machine or go under a microscope. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, but... Unfortunately, like like I mentioned, not all hospitals have micro labs, so mm -hmm. you have to put it in some sort of viral media so that the virus doesn't dry out and mm -hmm. you're not able to get the sample. So sometimes those things are are missing. So you've got we we don't have a lot of tests available, right? Mm -hmm. Then we may go low on reagents. Mm -hmm. Then we may not have the the um swabs then we may not have the transport media mm -hmm. so all those things are required to run the test and to speak like a chemist for a second so what's the limiting region right now what's the thing that we are running the lowest on what's that it depends on who you ask some labs they have no swabs some labs they have no reagents some labs they have no transport media and they're trying to make it be something else mm -hmm. um some places are trying to do samples that aren't from the nasopharynx. Just look at your nose, which only 40% of the time does that work. So why would you bother? Right. Because if it's um, not a yes, no, almost close to 100%, then you're wasting your time. Mm -hmm. okay. But so the problem is every place is different. Mm -hmm. You can't just say, if we get more gloves, it'll do this. Or if we get more swabs, it'll do this. Because every hospital is different. Okay. And that's, I think that's why I wish there were more people like you on the, you know, at the, the news desks who can explain this because they always just say tests. Like it's well, this they little bottle. So. Exactly. Like they always talk about it. Like these little, it's this little bottle of thing. We just need this bottle of things so that we could do the test. You just, it's like testing, you know, uh, pH. I think that's what people are thinking. It's like, you know, it's like what you used to test pH. You just put the little droplets in there and you measure it against the little thingy and you know if it's yes or no. Well, I'll, I'll ask you, mm -hmm. I have not seen this and I'm a little sensitive to it being this is actually Medical Laboratory Professionals Week. Mm -hmm. um, of all the weeks of the year, we should be talking about clinical laboratory professionals, and we aren't. In all the time that you've watched all these experts on TV mm -hmm. talking about, we need more testing, have you ever seen a clinical microbiologist on? No. Have it's... you ever seen anybody from the laboratory on? No, it's usually spokesmen for some medical organization or some lab or it's organization. An emergency room physician, or yes. it's a nurse, or but there's nobody on there who can talk about tests the way they should. Now, the president of uh, the American Society for Microbiology has been on TV for once in a while, and I saw someone that I know from the University of Minnesota. His name is Mike Osterholm. He is a microbiologist as well, mm -hmm. um, but. And, you know, knows about clinical laboratories. And he I think he's a virologist. But I watch, I have to, almost every day. And I'm appalled at the lack of laboratory representation. Because what I'm telling you, every single one of them can tell you. And I'm far removed from the laboratory now. I haven't stepped in a clinical laboratory for seven or eight years. 
Yeah. I... So my knowledge is not even up to snuff, but they just never – it's like nobody understands. We want tests done. We want tests done. Well, who do you think does them? Uh, uh, I'll talk to the doctor. Yeah, that that's inappropriate. So uh, we have – who we have seen on TV a lot is – a name we haven't actually mentioned is Dr. Tony Fauci. We see him on TV all the time, or we used to. Um, used to, yeah. He is really familiar with the process for testing and what's lacking, right? And so, he... well, Tony Fauci has been the head of the National Institutes on Allergy and Infectious Diseases since you were a child. Yes. Um, yeah, he knows. I would say he doesn't know as much about clinical laboratory testing as you think he does, mm. but he knows an awful lot. But if someone were to say, we don't have tests, he knows the right questions to ask, and he knows like what that really means, right? He he may. If he doesn't, he knows who to call. Okay. And so my, my I guess... He's a researcher. The, the, I think you should bear in mind, he's a researcher. He's I, not a clinical laboratory scientist. And I guess my, my the reason why I'm asking that question is not to say he does or doesn't know enough, but he would know who to ask. He would know how to get that information. And so therefore that information is getting to leadership. They just aren't paying any attention. Let me try to say this without giving away too much. I have had contact with ambassador Burks. Mm -hmm. Much of what she knows comes out of our office. Okay. There is a clear difference between researchers and clinical people. Okay. And unless you make an effort to know these things, you may not know these things. Reading the papers is all well and good. And, you know, I, I have been both kinds of scientists. They are different skill sets. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say that they are attempting to get up to speed and leave it at that. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So that, at least that clarifies for me and I hope for other people listening, because for the longest time and for what they've been, what you've been reading in the papers, like this is not going to get fixed. We're not going to get any, any change and nothing's going to be safer until we have tests. But now I think I have a better idea of what that actually means. And what that entails, because that's the part they leave out. They're just like, we just need more tests. And so I'm like, well, why don't they just make more? But now I get it. It's like there. Well, are... I've been fighting the battle on, on Twitter for quite some time for people. Who's like, Well, there are a lot of researchers sitting around not doing anything. They could run these tests. No, they can't. Mm. No, they can't. It's not because they're not smart. It's because legally you cannot give out patient uh, results unless you fit under a certain category. In this case, it's called CLIA certified high complexity laboratories, mm -hmm. which means that the uh, CDC has to say that the people who work in your lab are appropriately trained for the job that they have. You know how to run certain kinds of, of um, samples for verification and you can tell a good test from a bad test run. And mm -hmm. everybody in research does not know how CLIA works. Okay. And so it it's just like saying, well, I'm really smart and I have a PhD. I should be able to operate on you. Okay. So just to, again, reiterate. Not the same. So to, so to go back to what we said before, so in order to run that type of RNA test, you need the, uh, the thermal cyclers. You need 
the regents, the proper regents. You need the transport reagents. reagents. You need the transport media. You need the sample collecting supplies. And you need properly trained staff to conduct the test. Is that correct? Also, a laboratory that has been thoroughly, and I mean thoroughly, inspected by CLIA, which is um, a committee in at CDC that basically allows you to run real tests. So even if we had properly um, briefed leadership who was highly motivated to do this the right way, this ain't something we can get off the ground tomorrow or next week. <laughs> no, but we're also moving fast ahead of where we were, say, three weeks ago. I mean, I don't want to give the impression that they're not doing anything because they they just can't. It, they can and they are, but you don't go from zero to a million tests and think that's going to happen in a week and a half. Got you. And I think, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, we are now living in a situation where no one has ever had to wait for anything in their whole life. You don't even have to mm -hmm. wait for food. You can just microwave it. So everything's supposed to be fast. This virus is four months old. Mm. We had 100 years with um, influenza and the rapid test for influenza right now suck. <laughs> I mean, they okay. really do. They're not very good. So we had a 100 year head start. This is. This is not Legos. It's really hard. It's really complicated. It requires live kinds of experimentation. So you got to have animals. You got to have people. Like it, it's just not click two buttons. And unfortunately, I think people, one, expect that. Well, you're the scientist. How come you don't know? Because the virus just dropped out of a bat four months ago. What we know is incredible compared to what we've known about other things in three or four times the time. And I think that might. OK, so this is a good transition because we talked about earlier that we're constantly you guys, the researchers are constantly learning more about this virus and you're doing it at a faster rate than ever done before. And for the common layperson like me, it just sounds like a bejumble of symptoms <laughs> that's what it, that's how it comes across in the media it is to late but people. it is it's just like so it also does this and it also does this and it also does this so you'll lose a leg your lungs break it goes in your brain you can't breathe some dry cough um you know numb fingers it, it, it's just it seems random so can you, can you talk a little bit about what what do we know about this virus right now and how it operates we don't really know as much as we would like to. Mm -hmm. um, so first of all, I should start with telling you that we know about uh, other coronaviruses much more. So there are really only like five or six coronaviruses that cause human disease. And it's typically um, upper respiratory infections. Now they can cause lower rep respiratory infections. And usually if you already have some other problem like you have cardiovascular disease or you have a weakened immune system or you're older or you're diabetic or you know you suffer with asthma um you have a, a lupus or some other sort of autoimmune disease but as a rule they give you a cold or you know what feels like a bad flu um and We've probably all seen a coronavirus by the time we're 10 or 12 because it causes about 20% of colds. Okay. So one of those colds you had was probably a coronavirus. 
This coronavirus, which now goes by a bunch of names, so it started out as Novel, novel Coronavirus 2019, because it was found in 2019. Um, the disease it's caught, that it's causing, we call it COVID-19 case, okay? So coronavirus infectious disease from 2019. Okay. If you listen to the right-wing radio, they'll tell you that there were 18 coronaviruses before this one, but mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. There are six, all right? <laughs> um, and yeah. now that – so the World Health Organization is the one that had to give it the name, and it is probably – when they first found it in Wuhan, now it's mutated all over the place. When they first found it in Wuhan, it was closely related to SARS, which we saw in what, 20, 2003, something like that? A long time so, ago. Yes, there was SARS, and then there was MERS, which was also related. This one seems to be closely related to SARS, so now it's called – the virus itself is called SARS-CoV-2. Number two. So the disease, COVID-19, the virus, SARS-CoV-2. Okay. Um, the fact of the matter is, it start, my, my fear when I first saw it was, this is going to be a monster because it makes you as sick as SARS and it spreads like a cold. And that is exactly what happened. Now, what's the difference between how it spread... How does SARS spread versus how this virus spreads? SARS did not spread as well person to person. This, like I said, it spreads like a, it spreads like a common cold. So it's got the worst of both of those. It's got the common cold ability to go all over the place. And you've been in places like in school or whatever. 15% of the class is out because they all have a cold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or well, the office. It spreads yeah. like that, but it will lay you low, which is, you know, the SARS part of it. Mm, okay. And so it, it's the worst of all possible worlds, and I thought that was coming. And again, I wanted to be wrong. <laughs> Maybe you should just stop speaking these horrible things into existence. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I I did it. No, I just see it. I don't do it. It's like an incantation. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I say it, it happens. Okay, exactly. If I had that kind of power, I would have my life would be so different. Oh my god. Yeah, I, then you would definitely should be in charge of all the elections. It's like, just tell us who's going to win and just say the best <laughs> candidate. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so uh, that was my worry and that turned out to be it. But many things have happened that I just did not expect. Um, so some of these symptoms, I mean, they're all regular respiratory symptoms until they're not. Okay. So... You know, you feel like you have a cold. Like, all of us have had a cold. All of us have had the flu. You know what that feels like. Yeah. Except for when you have the flu, you shouldn't have problems breathing. Hmm. Um, if your fever is 103 and you're a grown-ass adult, this is not good. Yeah. And then found a bunch of things that are crazy, like, uh, well, you can't taste or smell anything. Yeah, that's the new one. Um, no, no. The new one is they think it possibly causes disseminated intravascular coagulation, Blood which clotting. nobody except a med tech should even know. Blood clotting, basically, right? Blood clotting randomly. And so now they're seeing young people with strokes because they have a blood clot because they had this. Okay, yeah. This is a biblical plague. I don't even know what else to say. And And the thing is, it's completely unpredictable because... Probably at least half of the people who have it don't even know they had it. 
And is it because these symptoms is it because it's mutating or because we just haven't we're just seeing different stages of it? Like, no, how do you how I'm do you how do you explain the, the difference in what people are experiencing who have it? I can't. Nobody oh. can because oh. the virus is four months old. Oh, OK. Like you're asking me questions like we've been studying this for 30 years. It's four months old. The papers are coming as fast as they can, and half of them are bad. But, you know, people are trying. They're trying to figure it out. And I just saw somewhere uh, today they said that there is no proof yet. Now, this that's all they said. They said there's no evidence yet that if you have it, you won't get it a, a second time. How many colds have you had? Mm, I'd say, like, I don't know, one a year or maybe two a year, something like that. A year, which means you're not protected after the cold except for a certain period of time. Mm. That's the coronavirus cold part, right? We all get more than one cold a year. So we don't know that you're going to be protected or if you're going to be protected for how long. So anybody can raise antibodies. What you want to know is, are those antibodies protective against a reinfection? And you don't know that until you do research. And guess what? The virus is four months old. We haven't had time for that yet. And so all these people who are spouting that shit about, oh, we should just get in a room and and develop herd immunity and everyone just get it. What do you think about that? I think it's stupid, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Now... I am all for vaccination and I am all for a minor infection to save you later. But unfortunately, we don't know if that's going to work. We don't know anything about this virus because it's four months old. So everything we think we know, like that's the kind of thing they used to do with kids. All right. You have four kids in the house. One of them gets chicken pox. You make them all stay together. So they all get chicken pox and then they're done. Right. Uh, We know that herpes viruses like chicken pox, you do have lifelong immunity. We don't know that about this. Because the virus is four months old. Hmm. And so that leads directly into actually what else we wanted to talk about, which is misinformation. Because I don't even know how we would ever study or collect the data to find out how many people have been have caught the virus or have died from it because they were misinformed. Well, you do that with antibody tests. Well, no, but how do you know they were infected because they were misinformed? That is that, oh, if I, if I can hold my breath for 10 seconds and I'm fine. Oh, my God. Don't even. Oh, oh, right. please. Right. My Facebook has like, so I got sick of my family calling me in the middle of the night or sending me messages or asking me stupid questions. I love my family. But think. Uh, so if, if you take the limes, which are pH 8.7, then you won't get it, right? Limes? Like, like the, the fruit? Limes, not pH 7. Wait, are you talking about the fruit, the fruit lime? I swear to God, more than one person I know, and my Facebook page is full of people that I actually know in real life, people I went to high school with, my family. I don't have a lot of people from the internet who are Facebook friends. So these are all people I know, some I've known all my life, and they keep sending me this thing about, there's this journal article that says so-and-so-and-so. Let me just, for all our listeners out there, First of all, Google it. Second of all, Snopes it before you send it to me, okay? But this is, I don't have time for this. But that's the thing. It's like it's, it's supposed to be that when you have like 
when you do have doctors and professionals on TV and you do have proper sources like the New England Journal of Medicine and the CDC.gov and even as much as people complain about it, the New York Times, this is supposed to inoculate the public against this type of misinformation. What, what? Not if they won't read it. <sighs> I mean, I literally said in the I had a I had like an epic rant on, on my Facebook page about this nonsense. And I said, OK, what you're not going to do is listen to the guy who sells you weed about what you should do about this virus. Mm. I will take the call. But this is ridiculous. Stop sending me this bullshit. I mean, literally, there was this thing. It had the name of a journal, which I looked up, and it's probably an okay journal. But it had nothing like what any of this stuff said. You could have Googled that journal and looked for food, and you see it has nothing in it. Um, the other thing is clearly nobody remembers their chemistry because you cannot have a pH of 22. And they <laughs> talked about some vegetable that was pH 22. Wait, this journal or the person who was writing you on Facebook? Well, the person who led, like, if it's a real journal, it's easy to get to the article. Mm -hmm. You might not be able to see it, but you'll be able to see the title. You'll be able to see the abstract. Right. You'll know that it exists. And the authors, yeah. When it's handwritten some nonsense, and this is just told, I don't even know where these people come up with this shit. The first people who do it have to know what they're doing, and they know they're working on a weak mind. And so the, you see it 40 times. And so I stopped and I explained pH and I explained that we know for a fact that citrus fruit is not alkaline. This is another one of those hotep everything should be alkaline thing. And so mm -hmm. if you eat all this alkaline food, then you won't get the virus. What? The virus is that. Yeah. The pH of the virus is eight points is either five point five or eight point something. I'm like, OK, so first of all. In all my adult life, I've been a scientist. I have never heard of anybody talk about the pH of a virus. Never. Never. Wait, how does a virus, does a virus have a pH? You know what the virus's pH is? Whatever the cell it's in's pH is. Oh, okay. Because they can't grow without a cell. So all the cells in your body are between 7.35 and 7.45. There's no 5.5 cell anywhere in the goddamn world. And I think this is, I think a lot of people, like you said, don't remember chemistry class and are grasping at straws. Maybe so, but I need you to grasp at straws that make sense. Especially since your phone is the encyclopedia. You got all of Google in your hand. Yeah. One second. But check we, it. But Just we, one second. No, but we talked about that. People do check Google and they will read and when i did it i didn't see all that ph nonsense either so google if, is... if all you're getting is nonsense you need to check your algorithm yes and i was i was just about to say that it, their algorithm is full of garbage and so yes if you rely on hotep nutrition guidance for the last six or seven months and then you search something about will limes cure you know covid you're going to come up with some hotep nonsense at the top of your list yes that I will can't. happen i just i can't i you know i'm working too hard on this to entertain nonsense i really am but i mean it's also not helpful that the president has a half hour every day to further dilute the dialogue about this virus and to further dilute the positive you know actual real information about it as well like we're just now i think everyone's turned the corner on hydroxychloroquine and, and it took a really long time, didn't it? Yes, it felt like an eternity. 
and because people like first they were taking uh, aquarium cleaning tabs or some nonsense because it has yeah, that as one ingredient. It, yeah, because it had hydroxychloroquine. And the worst part about it is hydroxychloroquine is actually used for lupus patients mm-hmm. and people with rheumatoid arthritis, people who have autoimmune diseases, and people were hoarding it and they couldn't get it. And they said that there not only is it necessary for those other diseases and you shouldn't take it for that that reason just to maintain supplies, but it's also dangerous side effects. Uh-huh. And it should only be used Nobody's in hospitals. That if they don't have to be. Yeah. I know I, I was born with a heart murmur. I know I have an irregular heartbeat. I would never go near that shit because I don't want to die. Yeah. I just you just can't believe everything you see. Even the FDA, the hydroxychloroquine have not been shown to be safe and effective for treating or preventing COVID-19. Just keep it, kept it super simple. And they also um, they also did a study at the VA because, you know, people who show up at the VA tend to be older men. And for some reason, this this disease really has a predilection for men. Hmm. Um, they tend to be older men with already. I mean, if you're in a VA hospital, you got serious problems already. Yeah. Um, and so they actually did the study with with their patients. It's a small study, but it turns out that they might be more likely to die if you give it to them because of the other comorbidities that they may have. So it's clearly not making anybody better, and it could actually make you worse. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, so there, was a lo- there was a large study in that suggests the drug didn't really have much of an effect on the recovery rate. Mm-hmm. But you Basically, know, that's the science talk for it didn't do nothing. Yeah, it didn't do shit. <laughs> yeah. Might make you worse. <sighs> and there, beyond the hydroxychloroquine, he also... Your great commander in chief um, sarcastically suggested that we should inject ourselves. Supposedly. With, yeah. Allegedly so, sarcastically. Allegedly sarcastically suggested injecting yourself with bleach or Lysol or uh, sunbathing. Mm-hmm. You could, no, you could get the light inside somehow. Get the light inside. Somehow. I, somehow. So, I mean, flay yourself and then just expose it to sun. I don't inside the the organ like what what i guess supposed to the flashlight fuck if i know and to her credit uh they had uh a footage of dr bricks while he was saying that <laughs> her, okay her so, face so, was priceless so the thing the thing about her is she was an ambassador right so mm-hmm. she kind of knows how to be diplomatic she just couldn't even hide that it, it looked like utter horror. It looked like sheer horror. Now, see, I feel like if he had said that in front of Tony, he would Tony would have just walked out of the, yeah. the room. That that's like she had the take face. Take this job and shove it. <laughs> she had the face of someone watching someone clean their chicken in dishwashing liquid. That's the same face I would make. Just like <sighs> what it this it, uh, is that is that happening? What. <laughs> What have I become? And she, she kind of came back. She's like, no, I don't think, I think you've mistaken the difference between this and that. I mean, she tr- she tried it, but you know I have no poker face. I'd have been looking at him like, fool, are you crazy? And I would love to say that it's just Republicans that are this crazy. But uh, Chris Cuomo, the, one of the CNN correspondents or uh, reporters who has been at home 
for the last few weeks because he had COVID. Um, his wife said that uh, she sometimes takes bleach baths. Okay, so one, that's his wife. Mm-hmm. Two, he's not. He's he's a journalist. Mm-hmm. He's not a member of the Democratic Party. So I'm gonna need you to back up off that. Mm-hmm. His brother is the governor of New York. His father was the governor of New York, but he's just on CNN. Mm-hmm. But he's wealthy, mm-hmm. and his wife was listening to. What? Her doctor, energy medicine, and homeopathic physician? I, I, I think she was, and I think she posted this on Goop, right? Our friend uh, Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow. That explains it. That, that explains everything. Yeah. Okay, we're done. <sighs> Good old Goop. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I don't. So I'm not sure. Is it dangerous to take a bath with a quarter cup of bleach in the water? I I, I don't even know. I, I would not recommend it just for skin care. But um, um, is she actually in danger or is she just stupid? Well, we've all <laughs> gone to swimming pools. So we've been exposed to bleach in water before. I don't okay. know how much bleach they put in a swimming pool. But I'm thinking a quarter of cup of bleach is like what you put in your washing machine. And mm-hmm. you see how bleach the stuff comes out when you do that i wouldn't but here's the whole thing what is she supposed to be doing with that unless she's snorting the bleach it's not going to get rid of any viruses because the viruses like almost every other infectious agent they have something called tissue tropism they're not on your feet they're not on your elbows or your legs or your butt or wherever is covered in this water they are on your respiratory tract so unless she's going to inhale this bleach water which I don't recommend. She's wasting her bleach and ruining her skin. And this is why, okay, so this is one example of why I think no matter what is happening um, in the labs or research-wise, regardless of how much uh, progress we're making, this is going to be with us for quite some time because what we're hearing about the virus and the speed at which we're learning about it and how dangerous it seems, I think psychologically, this is just going to have an impact on society. And a lot of things, it really is going to change our new normal. Yeah, I agree. Because if even people who are otherwise maybe rational are doing things like eating more lime or uh, scrubbing themselves with bleach, you can't okay, wait wait stop right there mm-hmm. if you are doing either of those things you're not ordinarily otherwise rational mm, you're you, just not you'd, you'd be surprised people you're just no you're just not okay <laughs> you, you you mean to tell me you don't know any otherwise smart people who have done the dumbest shit you've ever heard of in your life not like that that, that but did you no. really Listen, you've never said this person is otherwise intelligent i don't know why they would do something so stupid No, I freely admit I live in a bubble. I have spent my entire adult life around highly educated people who sit around and talk about the news of the day. No, I'm around a lot of smart people. I don't know anybody who would do anything this stupid. And I live in a bubble and I admit that and I'm happy about my goddamn bubble. I, I, I think because, yeah, you live in a bubble of scientists, so you probably don't run into it that much. But for people who aren't exposed to uh, science literature and aren't 
they, the last exposure they had was high school chemistry. I've talked to people who are like otherwise intelligent, level-headed, capable people, and then they'll tell me something about uh, Dr. Sebi and breatharianism. Oh, sweet Jesus. And breatharianism, okay, for so people I, who I don't think... remember, is people who consume air and no other food. So I'm 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 just saying, because of that, because I have observed that, I think when people are scared and there's a gap in understanding that just can't be filled quickly enough, because like you said, we're just learning it as it you know as it happens. I think a lot of things that people did before, like going to movies or going to restaurants. Um, some people are just going to go back to business as usual, but there's going to be a lot of people that are going to change their habits and just because they don't feel safe and they don't understand what to do about it. Yeah, I understand that there are a lot of online counseling uh, programs that you can get into for really almost no money. And I, I think some people probably need to do that. Um mm. Just because you can't live like that. You cannot live your whole life afraid of everything. I think we've done quite a good job of separating and distancing and sheltering in place and for a reason. Um, I think if it makes everybody wash their hands more, I'm happy to see society change in that direction. But I want to go to the movies. I really I do. do. I do. I understand. But like, for example, if you may have had it. You may still get it again. We don't know what it can do. That's a tough pill to swallow. Am I going to go to the movies and possibly have a stroke a week later? That, if, that's wild. Like that's, it's going to change numbers, a lot of shit. But if the numbers turn out to be that one in two people have a stroke, yes, I would stay home. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're looking at numbers based on only testing people who have been symptomatic. Mm. When we get to the place where we test everybody and find out what the real prevalence is, this is going to be like one in 125,000 people. Now, do you go to the movies? I don't know. That's a lot of people at the movies. And like you said, people don't watch their ass. Yeah. The only, honestly, I, I, this is a terrible thing to say, but I've been out almost every day, mm-hmm. almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to go to the store or, you know, I, I had to go three places to find light bulbs one time. Like, so I've been out and my, I wear the required mask because now you can't go anywhere without a mask. Right. Um, you can't go to the supermarket unless you're wearing a mask. They won't let you in and all that sort of stuff. And I really follow the CDC directions. You should have something on your face. Um, but I love the fact that they stand at the door now and hand you the wipes so you can wipe off your cart. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that stays and I'm happy about that. I think people have learned that they need to wash their ass and I'm happy about that. Um I do not look forward to all the people who are going to be out of work permanently because we refuse to go back to the movies or back to the um, restaurants or don't go to the farmer's market. Uh, you know, like that really significantly affects my life. And I'm not trying yep. to live like that. I, I, I get want it. Eastern market to be open so I can have some fresh vegetables from time to time. Um, you know, so I think once the curve is flattened, I hope and 
one of the things that we know about Americans is we do not have long-term memories. We forget about shit quickly. So yeah. I wonder if there's going to be as much of a change. I think there's going to be a change, and I think there are some things I want to change. But I don't know how much we are willing to, to change. I mean, the racism came roaring back once it looked like, oh, only the brown people are getting it. Okay, yep. we want to go back to work. We want to go back to work. Yep. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know how much of a permanent change we're going to have. I, under normal circumstances, I would agree, but who is going to deliver the message that the, we flatten the curve and it's largely safe to return to your daily activities? Who's going to deliver that message so that it's believable and we're not hopping on the various agenda trains immediately Tony. after? You think it's going to have to be Tony. And you don't think he's going to be undercut by people at Fox News or random hotep niggas on Twitter or, you know, just random people who are less informed and less educated well, about it. But there's always going to be that. I yeah. think there's always going to be that. But I think An you ask who is going to give the message. I think it's going to have to be Tony. Hmm. He's the only one with credibility right now. Yeah. And I mean, to, th to that end, there was... Um, an article that I saw, which was like composed of different, um, it was different uh, experts in uh, public health and um, epidemiology. And they were talking about like, what does the new normal sort of is going to look like going forward, like in the next year? Like, what is it going to take and what, what should we expect in the, in the coming year? And it, it's, it's kind of depressing it's like things are going to get back to normal, but it's not going to be right away. Oh, no. It's definitely not going to be right away. Yeah. So, I I don't know. It's a lot of death, and I think every time someone around near you who dies of it is going to bring up that same anxiety. Um, I think I expect, and maybe you can tell me if I'm misinterpreting what they're saying, I expect there are going to be other flare-ups probably lo more locally not so much nationwide but i can see in one or two months it's like there's a there's been a huge flare-up in in chicago just out of nowhere so a lot of people in chicago are getting it and they're anticipating social distancing for the next two three weeks you know and i think that's well, just going to raise anxiety again because it's like well are we safe over here you know two states over or do you lock people down when you the next time you it crops up with 20 or 30 more cases like that? It's going to well, keep the anxiety you know train sort of going. That is not my area of expertise. I failed psychology, so I don't mm -hmm. know what is going to happen. I can only tell you I expect that this is not over. Mm -hmm. um, we may see it again. Um, and SARS, basically, it took a year for things to get back to normal. And this is worse than SARS. So. I don't know. I really have no answer. Even Tony says, and also um, Bob Redfield at CDC say that they expect a second wave. So, but is it just a second wave, or are they expecting like? Because I I don't see. Let's say. Let's say someone does catch it again because they went to they traveled to France and they come back and they had it again and they go back to their, they go back to their city wherever in, in Texas or something. Um, it is going to spread because it's not going to be common practice for people to get off the plane and get a COVID test. 
right? So they, they're going to spread it around for a while before they start to get sick, and then you're well, going to have another flare-up. Well, we don't, we don't know what common practice is until we have the test in place. Mm, okay. So, I mean, obviously they're working as hard as they can to get the tests in place. Okay. And then what, I don't know, I guess we would have to talk to an epidemiologist and like, what should we be doing to kind of mitigate as much as we can whatever flare-ups happen in the future or whatever waves happen in the future? Yeah. Um, I suspect, you know, by the time we have to seriously worry about flare-ups, we may have a vaccine by then, I hope. Okay. Yeah, and so, okay, let's, so to close out then, let's talk about um, the vaccine and, and progress that's been made so far um, when the, when this first started when people really started taking this seriously um, they said that a vaccine the earliest might be coming like November of next year like 2021 is that still kind of the timeline probably that people June, are anticipating but it's it's going to be 2021 okay there's no way to hurry this right and my my boss had this perfect analogy I think you know his is better than mine is that it takes a woman nine months to have a baby well, if you gave three women the baby, could they do it in three? No. Mm -hmm. It takes as much time as it takes. Right. So at, right now, um, we're in phase one clinical trials in the United States. And I think phase two clinical trials in um, Europe. So we're nowhere near ready. So and I think considering the virus is four months old. This is lightning fast speed. Yeah. Sometimes it takes four or five years to get a vaccine that works properly. We're still trying to make an AIDS vaccine. So we're running on all cylinders and there is work we can do on scaling up. But in terms of speed, this is the best we got. Right. Well, we don't have the data yet. Mm. Right. So phase one trials are very small and all they do is. This don't kill you. <laughs> You give the vaccine and is it safe? Right. The second time, so phase two, now you give the vaccine and then you challenge them with something from the virus. Now, it would be completely inappropriate to give somebody the whole virus, but they may give pieces of the virus and see if your, your um, antibody numbers called your titer go up. And then you would be able to tell, all right, well, that's good. It's fighting it. And if you give it, you know, the third time, does it protect you and for how long? So they'll, you have to come back and give blood, you know, for six months, a year or whatever to see what your, your titer looks like, your antibody titer looks like and whether or not these are actually protective. So lots of times um, infectious agents, they cause your immune system to give you a lot of antibodies, but then they don't protect you against everything. Mm. So we, we're at the stage where we don't know yet if the antibodies we're going to see will actually protect you. And that's science and research that you have to do first. So there's no sense in scaling up a vaccine that doesn't work. Right. So from what you know about the, the virus biologically, is there anything about it that is particularly challenging? Or is this a case of we know how to do it, it's just going to take time? Well, considering we don't know much about it, all of it is challenging. Okay. Like nobody knows the part of it that makes your, your blood clot in your, your veins. Why? Um, why does it affect the, the nerves that lead to taste and smell? Why? Like we don't know any of that stuff. Um, from the outside, it looks just like 
you know, SARS more or less. It looks like a coronavirus. It's got the little spikes on it and everything. Um, and that's usually the first thing the immune system sees. But if those spikes turn out not to be in the right configuration, because they're not sticking people with the whole vaccine, mind you, mm-hmm. they're just making those proteins that make the spike. And if it doesn't fold together properly, then your immune system may not uh, respond to the right configuration, which means it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of things, even in simple vaccine development, that are problematic. I mean, it's much easier in sort of bacteria because all you have is the bacteria. You don't have the host proteins sticking out. I mean, you know, for viruses, they have to use the host cell. So the smartest thing for them to do is cover themselves in host membrane. Well, now, if you mess around and make a, a vaccine that contains part of the host membrane, now you're going to be working on your own host cells. That's not a good idea in a vaccine either. Yeah, that's like autoimmune, right? Right. So, I mean, this is not going to be quick. It's just not. And I, I guess what I was I guess what I was asking is, you know, the what they're expecting the timeline to be. Is there anything that you see that may like impede that or it may take way longer because, oh, we didn't account for well, X, Y, Z. Well, I just told you that. All of that stuff could make it longer. Okay. I mean, it could. It could work like gangbusters. Um, you know, Tony sounds a little bit uh, – well, I've heard Tony speak many, many times mm-hmm. and he always sounds positive. But – in the nine years, well, this year he only talked about COVID nineteen. So in our we we have a meeting every February, mm-hmm. and he only talked about COVID nineteen, and he looked like he was death on wheels, and we couldn't even we couldn't even keep him there. Okay, thank you, Tony. But for every other year that he's given his presentation, he's always talked about universal flu vaccine, and he's always very positive. And I have yet to see a universal flu vaccine. Mm, okay. So. He knows what he's talking about and he knows what he means. Um, He thinks 18 months plus and I'm going to stick with that. It's going to be 18 months plus. Okay. And then even then you may still get it or not everyone may be able to get the vaccine. Are there shortages you anticipate for that too? Well, there's no way to tell. Um, there's, There's just no way to tell. The vaccine... What you need to make a vaccine and what you need to do clinical tests are not always the same supplies. Hmm. You know, it's not all one big thing. And it's kind of like what you need to bake a blueberry pie and what you need to to bake a pound cake. Not the same thing. Okay. <laughs> Just not. You and, you both need an oven, you know, but that's about it. And what's your best guess for like what is this? Are we going to handle this more like we handle the flu, where there's going to be variations on which flu vaccine we distribute to the population to inoculate them or protect them? Or it's too soon to tell. Okay. The virus is four months old. Okay. So it's either either option is possible. It could just be this is the new normal and was just with us and we get vaccines, or it could be like measles and we get rid of it. We don't know. No, we have no idea. Again, gotcha. with measles, we had known measles for a couple hundred years before we got a vaccine. Yep. So this is moving remarkably fast, despite the fact that everybody thinks it should have been done already. Mm. I, I, I guess now we just have to try to return to normal and wait. 
<laughs> that seems to be the only thing regular people can do. Yeah, that really is the only thing regular people can do. Mm. And also vote in November. <laughs> Please, God. I have one more thing that I, I would like to talk about that will encourage you to vote in November, even yep. if you have to put a scarf around your nose and wait in line. I will. Go ahead. So I don't know if any of you are paying attention to this. Um, however, the head of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, known as BARDA, was fired last week because he refused to go along with the push for uh, giving everybody this malaria drug, even though we hadn't proven that it did anything. Oh, the same one that FDA said people shouldn't take because it's dangerous? Hydroxychloroquine? Uh, yeah, that one. Oh, that's ironic. Yeah. Continue. So, um, actually, I... I kind of know this guy a little bit. Um, let's put it this way. If I see Tony on the street, he will recognize me but not remember why. If I see Rick Bright on the street, he will look at me like, don't I know you from somewhere? But he also will not recognize why. Tony would eventually. Rick never will. But <laughs> I've been to at least 40 meetings that Rick Bright was at. Okay. So he's he's been head of... Barda for I guess since 2016 he's been there since 2010 so the whole time I've been in my job he's been at Barda mm -hmm. and Barda is the the part of the Department of Health and Human Services remember I told you this is the biggest department in the federal government it it reaches all kinds of people in their lives so right. Social Security and CDC and FDA and they're all part of HHS Barda is the um the division that is responsible for helping you helping the government focus on stuff just like this emerging infectious diseases vaccine um, production and so they t uh, antimicrobial resistance so they they typically stand at the intersection between um, the public so the HHS and our federal government and companies so that they can get them to step up the kinds of things like vaccines or testing or whatever so this is the guy. He worked on um, avian influenza. He's a he was a real scientist. Um, he he was the director of influenza and emerging infectious diseases um, first, and then he got the head of all of Barda. Um, he was a med tech at once. At one point, he also has a PhD in immunology and molecular pathogenesis. So I pretty much know exactly what he knows because we have this the same education. Mm -hmm. Um, except for he's like 50 million times better than me. Um, they have a, a program called Combating Antibiotic Resistance um, Accelerator. We call this CARB-X. And they came out with a couple of brand new antibiotics in the last couple of years. Um, so, so this guy, he's every bit as good as Tony when it comes to this sort of thing. You just don't know him. And he got fired because... He wouldn't go around sucking up on chloroquine. And how do we know that's why he got fired? Did he come out and make a statement that someone... He like did, and he's going to file a whistleblower complaint as well. But Ooh. yes, after he got... So this is another time I was right, and I didn't want to be right. So I saw it was, it was very brief in the news, and it said Rick Bright um, leaving BARDA. And I went, what the hell? What it, why would he leave right now? 
oh, this is not good. And then so the next thing that came out was he was going to NIH to head up the um, the coronavirus vaccine um, group there. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, so Francis and Tony rescued him because he just got fired. That's not even a lateral move. He went from the director of something. So he was like the same level as Tony to now he works under Tony. Oh, and okay. it happened in like it was really quiet and it just all of a sudden and I said to my supervisor um what do you what do you know about Rick Bright being out at Barter what have you heard I don't think they knew that this had happened and they don't know Rick because they're both new and have not worked with him before and I said yeah I just don't uh, you know looks like Francis gave him a soft place to land but he was fired and so the next couple of days you hear first he made a statement and then as of yesterday he's decided that he's going to file a whistleblower complaint because apparently he told them this is not going to work. This is dangerous. We should not use it. And obviously the White House didn't want to hear that. So he was out. Now HHS is Alex Azar and he can fire somebody under HHS. NIH seems to be a little bit it has a little bit more um independence independence and so francis would have to fire somebody from nih so if they put him in nih he's safe okay this sounds like a um modus operandi for this administration because it does the place yeah. the place where i work um the director that oversaw all of the offices that do the work that we do he was director of that so all, there are these offices throughout the country that do this particular uh, service, and he was director over all that. He was then appointed as deputy director for a single uh, service center. Yeah, they're hoping he'll quit. Yeah, because, I mean, essentially, that is a demotion of extraordinary <laughs> proportions. And extraordinary. Like, and yeah, and that seems to be what they do, the people who are actually really, because he served under, I think, three presidents this was his third so you know he was well entrenched he came up from the from the ground he did you know what individual people do and then he got all the way up to the director position and then all of a sudden he don't know what he's doing you know he's not good enough okay mm -hmm. right i mean that that's literally like for for um a political appointee is there it's much easier to fire them right but you have to be careful about, you know, somebody who's been in the office for a long time, did not have to be approved by the Senate. You know, mm -hmm. the 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 lifers, when you fire one of those, that that's not a good thing. And I'm I was thinking that if he tr if if the president tried to fire Tony, Tony wouldn't go quietly. But it looks like it's Rick who's not going quietly. I mean, there are lives at stake. So honestly, sure. I, I hope that none of them go quietly. And, if if they the think that is, if they think that they were making progress and doing the best that could be done, and then someone is trying to remove them for that position for political reasons or for non-scientific or medical reasons, and I, I hope absolutely they're yelling from the rooftops. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think what people maybe don't understand is anybody who's doing this work they're doing it because they have a real feel for it. You know, it's not, it, you don't do this because somebody like Tony, he's an MD. He could be making twice what he makes now. 
Yeah. Most of the people who work for the government, especially if you're highly educated, you could be making so much more money in the private sector. Yes. And you do it because you believe in it. And doubly so if you're part of the healthcare team, because nobody gets rich doing that. And they do it. You know, for, unless, they usually unless do it you're for... a plastic surgeon. You know, nobody gets rich being a nurse. Nobody gets rich being being a laboratory scientist. You do it because you're called to do it. And, and then you have to deal with this orange asshole. And their knowledge yeah, is irreplaceable because they've usually been doing it for much longer than anyone else alive. Right. And they actually know, you know, they don't have a biology degree from Liberty University. These people are really well educated and trained. Yeah. And it takes a long time to work on your craft like this. You know, you don't get that in two or three years. Like I said, Tony has been head of NIAID since I was in college, which means since you were a baby. Yeah. It's just, it's unbelievable. Mm, I, I don't even use that word anymore. It, it is believable that, that this is where we're at. But we, we'll, we'll talk more about like where we're at in terms of the election and what other travesties we have to look forward to because it, it just seems to be getting worse and worse and I feel like we're devolving into a third world country at this point. Yeah. Um, and if you want to watch what could happen, you should probably watch HBO's The Plot Against America. Oh, okay. Um, I, I saw the commercials for that. I, didn't, I thought it was about World War II. Uh, it is, but it isn't. It's just like uh, MASH was about Korea, but it was really about Vietnam. Oh, okay, okay, got yeah. you. It's it's kind of like that, and of course, David Simon is responsible for it. And as I've mentioned at least half a dozen times, I went to college with David Simon. He's always been the best writer in the room, and he did a he really did a great job with this. There's also a podcast associated with it, so if you don't want to watch it, you can just listen to the podcast. But it sort of tells us, it shows us what's coming and why you should get your ass to the computer and register to vote or something you gotta do something okay that's we're going to hell in a handbasket that's haunting um okay today was a lot i, I think we gave everyone a kind of a primer a lot to think about hopefully if you're like me more information makes you feel better um this might be one of those rare situations where not necessarily but i'd I, rather see you informed exactly it's ignorant it, in this case, being informed may actually save your life or save your, you know, pop pop and and Meemaw's life. So, yeah, don't it, give them pills they're not supposed to have. Exactly, and and don't panic and don't start doing rash things like bathing yourself in bleach. Um, it is going to be with us for some time, I think, both mentally and you know medically. We're just gonna have to figure out how to cope. And uh, I have faith in us. We can. Yes, we can. Um, I'm glad you have faith in us. And I'm going to leave it there. Um, okay. Then. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm just going to, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer. So I'm going to say I, I, I approve of your, your, your positivity. Well, if you really don't want to know what's going on, I guess you could watch the Tiger King. I've already done that, and it actually lowered me worse. I, I See, I can't watch it. Everybody is telling me that I have to watch it. And after the first episode, I was like, 
okay, these people are trash, and what? I, I don't you're... have that many hours left in my life, so I didn't watch the whole thing. So you're correct. Everyone on that show is trash. Okay. But you don't understand how trash they are because you didn't finish it. They got trashier? Because yes. that first episode was enough. Every single person on that show is a fucking villain. Oh my God. And I despise all but a few of them who are just kind of sad victims in all this. But for the most part, the vast majority of them are just horrible people. I can't believe you watched it. I was compelled. Okay. Yeah. Someone compelled me. I, okay. Yeah. I watched it, but I was just like, I peeped like you in episode one. I'm like, these people are garbage. And then I watched episode two, and I'm like, wow, they're really bad. And then episode six, I'm just like, I just want to nuke that entire region they live. I just, <laughs> just... Well, the plot against America is much better than that, mostly because the writing is good, and it was a Philip Roth novel, and it's fantastic, and uh, you can't believe how good... What's her name? Uh, no, I can't read the... Oh, crap. She was in the... Beetlejuice movie. She was the kid in the Beetlejuice movie. Oh she yeah, was in the, um, she's in Stranger Winona, Things. Winona yeah, the, the thief. Right, got it. She is so good in. Oh my god, she's so good in this. Okay. And uh, she does crazy really well. Is she doing that again? No, she's not crazy in this. And John Turturro is in it. And oh, okay. the performances are incredible. You sh you just should watch it. It'll take you away. All right, that's homework for everybody. Until next time. Okay, so everyone watched The Plot Against America. And then um, register to vote. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one last thing. Do you have any advice or any thoughts on when we can start visiting our elderly relatives? <laughs> or should we just wait for Tony to say, give us the okay? Yeah, I think, look, I want to see my parents worse than anybody. Uh, but I'm going to say, basically, wherever they, like, my, my, my mother will let me in the house, but my father's in, in a rehab center, and you can't get in. Yeah. So, you know, until they lift it, I can't go. Um, yeah, I would wait for Tony. That That is my thing. Wait for whatever okay. it is. Wait for Tony. Okay. All right. That 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 was the last thing that I had top of mind. It's just like cause I didn't want to be avoiding them intentionally for long periods of time. But, okay, I'm just going to. No, just call every day. See if they need anything. Like, you know, I'm sending groceries and stuff. But pff, I can't go. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, any other last pearls of wisdom before we let the people go? No, just try to hang on to sanity. I mean, honestly, I know this is not good for a lot of people. I'm an introvert and I'm sick of being in my house. Same. Uh, so for for a lot of people, especially those of you who are used to having a lot of people around you, it's a difficult change. And, you know, if you need help, seek help. There's There's no shame in that. But Keep yourself together. You know, yeah. it's really important because when we are able to get back to, to our families and our elderly relatives and people who need us, you got to be strong. So do what you need while you're at home. That's that's the way I feel about it. Agreed. That I can agree on. All right, doctor, tell the people where they can find you. You can always find me at Koki Talks Trash if you want to talk straight science i'm usually at koki negra and also there's the show which is you know molecules capital u k-n-o-w molecules on twitter and you can find me uh on twitter as well at pfunkin around there's two pfunks so tread carefully <laughs> there's been a lot of <laughs> although he's cool he will forward the message <laughs> he has his own show 
So it's it's yeah. not it's he'll not yeah he'll get people he'll get people like I love your podcast and he's just like wait which pod which podcast <laughs> he has to clarify. So yeah, but he's on Twitter as well, um, also on the MTR, MTR network. But uh, we will be keeping the country in our prayers, I guess, because it's on it's on life alert right now. It is indeed. Wash everything. Register to vote. Register to vote. Wash everything. Stay away from people. We'll see you next time. 